What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. And uh, Ben, you know what, before we get started here, before we get deep into things, uh, I just want to mention that uh, we do, today's topic is about Toyota. Right. And Toyota is a sponsor on our site, but uh, we're going to give the pros and cons here and unbiased views. So I just want to throw that out there and let everybody know that, but uh, mm. I just thought it was something we should mention. Yeah, I agree. But let's get into it now that we're done with the paperwork. Sounds good. This, this, let's be honest, this podcast was, um, something that we had talked about before, and this actually comes from a listener suggestion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I am sorry I couldn't hunt down the email today, but I am going to find it and ah, give this that's guy, right. yeah, give this guy a shout out. I think we mentioned this in a nuts and bolts episode that somebody wanted to hear some of the fascinating stories of other auto manufacturers besides Henry Ford, because everybody hears the Ford story. Everybody knows the Ford story, which is what the listener said. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's so, a, there's a lot of other stories out there, and one of them happens to be Toyota. And that is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny it. if it was like one of them is Toyota, but what we are going to talk about? Is- <laughs> no, we're de- we're definitely talking about the uh, the Toyota history here because it goes back. Ah, oh boy, a lot farther than you might think at this point. Because you know, I was shocked to read this. I don't know why I was, but I I was. It's been in, Toyota's been in America for over fifty years at this point, Ben. Yes, fifty years. I didn't. I didn't realize. I. Didn't, I. I would thought it would have been more like thirty. Thirty plus. And they've been a company uh, for much longer than that. Much longer. That's much right. longer. Yeah, since what nineteen fifty seven? Since it came to the United States, but uh, it even goes back farther than that, really. Yes. Let's go. Actually, you know what? Uh, as one of the characters in Alice in Wonderland said, "Let's start at the beginning. We'll go through the middle." Oh, we can't stop at the end, though, because the story is, fortunately, not over. Still continuing. That's Still right. continuing. Yeah. Well, so we'll end on like a cliffhanger. Sounds good. All right. But let's start with Sakichi Toyota. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, that's butchering right. it. So, no, I think that's right. Okay. everyone Spelled with a D, by the way. Yes. Toyota with a D. Uh, everyone listening who does speak or understand Japanese, please uh, be kind because <laughs> <laughs> we're about to venture out. There may be a couple of... Uh, Terms here that we may blow on the on the way, but uh, but uh, we'll we'll do our best. We'll do our best. Yeah. And uh, Sakichi is born in 1867 in Japan. Um, he was 
an inventor. And he was actually, from what we understand, quite a prolific and tenacious inventor. One of the big inventions that he made uh, had nothing to do with cars. That was where he got to start. Yeah, his breakthrough invention is uh, an automated loom. Right? Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, you would think. Now, of course, you know, machinery and automation, and you know, that kind of goes hand in hand. But sure. um, to go from make, creating an automated loom to well, what, what's now an, an enormous auto company? Yeah, a conglomerate. Uh, it's strange, strange. But remember, remember the time. This is the dawn of the automobile. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of it. I mean, relatively new at that point. Sure, and and that's a 1924 when Sakichi invents the Toyota Model G automatic loom. Uh, just a few years later, about five years later, he sells the patent for this loom to a British company and they give him what they give him like a million dollars or something. A million yen, I think. A million yen. Who knows what that would be now? I'm just not exactly sure. I've done the conversion, but, um, Mm -hmm. apparently it's quite a bit of money because he used that Mm -hmm. to, uh, to found this, uh, this fledgling automobile company. Yes, because even though they had the loom business and, and things were, he made more than one invention concerning looms, but he was doing quite well as uh, an inventor in this loom business. But Sakichi had a moment, Scott, where he looked around and he said, you know what? Looms are all right, but cars are the future. And cars are the business. Cars are the business. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Build cars. Yeah. Well, he actually started with uh, like gasoline powered engines. Right. Is that, so, yeah. so Toyota started out as a, as an engine, engine manufacturer, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was really, it wasn't even called Toyota at that point because, um, we're still talking 1930 at this point. Right. Um, and it wasn't until 1937 that the Toyota Motor Company, Toyota Motor Company Limited, I should say, is established. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's seven years in between there and he's actually working on, a vehicle as well, you know, towards the end of that, you know, the, yeah. the, um, the AA sedan is one of the vehicles that he worked on, uh, the year prior to, uh, the launch of the Toyota Motor Company. Now let's introduce a new character. Okay. Um, in this because Saikichi Toyota passed away in 1930 when he was 63. But before he did, and this was toward the end of his life, mm-hmm. when he, when he start, when he converted, um, so much of the business, uh, or business goals, at least, into an automotive industry. He told his son, um, now let me butcher this one. <laughs> I think I got it here. You got it? Well, uh, you do Maybe. It. Is it Kichiro? It sounds like it, but there's two eyes. Kichiro. I don't know. Maybe it's like Hawaii. Yeah, well, we don't want <laughs> <laughs> They're going to kill us, Scott. Oh, I know. They're going to kill us. Okay, okay, that's fine. So he tells his son. Yeah. Um, he tells his son, basically, look, build cars. And when he tells Kichiro this, uh, Kichiro starts doing the research on these um, engines actually in the same year that uh, Sakichi passes away. And as you know, as you say, it's a long time, uh, seven years before they actually establish the Toyota Motor Company. Um, and most most of that, the thrust of that is really Kichiro following through on uh, the agreement that he made with Sakichi. And this is where we start to see – now, we're going to have like a kind of parallel thing here with the history mm-hmm. um, because one of the reasons that we decided to do a podcast on Toyota is because they actually have a sort of a unique mentality 
among car makers. Oh, very unique. Well, you know what? It's it's not as unique as it once was. It's catching on. And the re yeah, exactly. The reason is others are copying what they what they started with. Now they mm-hmm. they have these uh there's a there's a Toyota production system. Mm-hmm. There are these guiding principles that they follow. Yeah, the precepts. Um it's just it's it's hard to explain, but the, the it's a way of life really in in the factory. It's surprisingly philosophical. It too. really is. It really is. Now, we've talked about we've talked briefly, I think, about the Toyota production system. Have we done a full podcast on that? No, not a full one. Really? Okay. I, I don't I'm, think so. I'm surprised we haven't. But ba- basically this uh, is the philosophy of the complete elimination of all waste. Yes. It's uh it's it's doing away with anything that's unnecessary. The pursuit of the most efficient methods in production for mm-hmm. automobiles. And uh, this Toyota production system has been extrapolated to healthcare. It's been extrapolated to uh, machine shops. It's retail been, supply chains. Exactly. Retail. Um, you're talking about like even even grocery stores, mm-hmm. um, everything. And of course, other automakers have, have, have jumped on board with this. And it's often called lean manufacturing or just-in-time systems. Just-in-time is the is the name I like. Yeah, just-in-time is, is what a lot of people call it. And um, – Again, it's kind of like a worldwide sensation, you know, that mm-hmm. this thing is causing it, and it originates with Toyota, this Toyota production system. That's often the name that's associated with it. Right. Um, okay. it, well, it's, it, what do you want to get into the, uh, the concepts of this just real quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. There's yeah. two concepts that, uh, the Toyota production system follows, and one is Jacoda, or Jadoka. Is that right? I mean, it sounds appropriate. Sure. I would just say spell it so listeners know. J-I-D-O-K-A. Jadoka. Um, and that's really what that really means is automation with a human touch. Yes. And of course, that means when when a problem happens, the equipment stops, the whole line shuts down. Mm-hmm. They fix the problem, and what that does is that prevents defective products from continuing through the line and, and just furthering the problem. They don't have to fix that many more vehicles later. They they find a solution immediately for the problem. Could I interject real quick? Sure. This baffled Western auto manufacturers because of a very uh, a very strange thing that you didn't see in Western assembly lines at the time. They have stop. Uh, they every operator in some of these factories had the ability to stop the line. Oh yeah, if they saw a problem. And you know why they wouldn't like that? Well, because you can be. Uh, I think the expression I read um, when we we're doing research is a Western automobile worker could be fired on the spot for just stopping the line. Yes, and the, the reason is. The amount of money that that costs the corporation per second, per minute, however you want to measure mm-hmm. it, it's a it's an enormous amount of money for a, an automotive, automobile production line to shut down. Uh, it doesn't matter you know what size company, as long as you're not producing, you're not making money. You're just bleeding and money. It really is. It's a high high dollar amount per minute. And um, uh, to to do something like this and to solve a problem and to get it back up and running again. Uh, that that's got to take you know it's going to take some time. It's not something you can fix in ten seconds typically. Right, no matter who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a this is a uh, was well, contrary uh, to what they had been taught that mm-hmm. you know you just continue on and you tell somebody about it later and they fix the problem and you know they'll, they'll catch up with it later. Now that's the that's the first uh, principle mm-hmm. that you talked about. What's the second? The second is uh, th- this whole concept of of what you said j- before the just in time concept, mm-hmm. um, and that's where every process produces only what's needed by the next. Uh, was needed by the next process in a continuous flow. So, yeah. um, and you only have the materials on hand to build what you need. You don't stockpile enormous, you know, amounts of material that you don't necessarily need or get to in that day or that hour or whatever. It's brought to you just in time to get the the work done, and it really works. And again, 
baffling to Western auto companies at yeah. the time who were known for large inventories of yeah. parts. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing is that, you know, in auto, automobile manufacturing, you have a large stockpile of pieces or parts next to you and you just continuously work throughout the day and then, you know, that's refreshed whenever it is. Maybe it's, you know, at the beginning of the week. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're left with is piles of materials that are left laying around. Um, and I guess there's, that's open to, you know, the possibility of, uh, I would guess, rust or being bent or whatever. I mean, sure. I would think that, you know, just having stockpiles of material laying around is not a good thing and it's not very cost effective. No. And let's also remember how, uh, how important profit margin and efficiency were at the time that Toyota was really rising up, which is during a uh, wartime. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. Quite so frequently. Very, very smart, uh, way of production. And, right. And it's, it's, Easy to see why uh, the Western world grabbed onto that as well. Yeah, and if you're an auto business and you're starting out, you're already so late to the game uh, with these other companies, these other foreign companies mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing Japan's cars, right? Yeah. Uh, so how do you beat these guys? You don't have the distribution chains they have. You don't have the established access to resources. So you just become – a lot more careful with what you do have. Speaking of distribution, you want to move on to yes. uh, when they actually came, when Toyota came to the United States? Yes, let's go all the way to the 50s, yeah. right? Late 50s. Late 50s, 1957. Uh, Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Halloween? Halloween, yeah. Halloween in 1957. Uh, they opened up uh, the United States headquarters, which was uh, really it's an old Rambler dealership in Hollywood, California. Apparently, is where they 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 started yeah. sales. And they had a uh, the the model they came out with was uh, the Crown, right? Yeah, the, the Toyo Pet Crown. Toyo Pet Crown. <laughs> it was a sedan. Mm. That's right. And uh, want to hear the sales numbers for 1958? The lay, following year, lay them on me. A grand total of 288 vehicles were sold in 1958. Oh man, two hundred eighty-eight. Now that means, uh, looking at closer at the numbers, mm-hmm. two hundred eighty-seven Toyota Pet Crown sedans, one Toyota Land Cruiser was sold that year in the U.S. In the U.S. Okay. Now, that, what's really strange about this is that if we jump forward to, and we can go back a little bit, I guess, but sure. nineteen sixty-six, they were selling twenty thousand cars by nineteen sixty-six, which is pretty good, right? Yeah, less than ten years. And here's the crazy thing: is that the Toyota Pet, which sold, I'll say, so well in the first year, <laughs> uh, two eighty-seven out of the two eighty-eight, that was found by the American consumers to be underpowered, overpriced, and not exactly what they had thought it was going to be. Oh. And the Land Cruiser, which only sold one vehicle in that initial year, was really quite a hit, I guess. It, it was yeah. uh, the majority of the sales um, through about 1965, and that's when the Toyota Corona arrived. So they started coming out with uh, new models in 1965, mm-hmm. but up until that point, they only had the two models, and the Land Cruiser really carried, carried, carried the, the company. Brand. Yeah, carried the company from about 1958 to 1966. And things continue this way until 1968, because in 1968, Scott, a very recognizable car was uh, released, the mm. Corolla. Corolla, yeah, that's right. A huge success in the U.S. Um, not just then, but continuing right through, well, peace. Uh, actually, several, several years, it was the best all-time selling vehicle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, I mean, do you know some of the facts and figures on this? I don't have the numbers with me off it, the top. It was actually, it's the world's all-time best-selling passenger car. It sold one, in 140, 140 countries. 27 million vehicles were sold. 
That's crazy. 27 million Corollas were sold. So uh, this is a big success, not just in the U.S., but everywhere. Huge, mm-hmm. huge popular vehicle. And they continue uh, working on this. They didn't stop at the Corolla, though. Uh, we can go – let's talk about some general stuff. Um, one tradition we do see with Toyota is a lot of partnerships. Mm-hmm. There, there are quite a few partnerships, um, You know, not just with – other Japanese companies um, like Daihatsu Motor, but also with uh, Western companies like GM. Yeah, yeah, they had some partnerships with uh, engine building. Is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. for fabrication. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? We can go. We'll jump around in history here. <laughs> That's right. We got. You know, the, here's the funny thing because I've got several timelines I'm looking at here. Yeah. And some of the timelines are missing some information that I found elsewhere. So if I go back a little bit in these, and I know Ben, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough because they don't they don't quite fill in all the gaps, and if you have to. You have to look at many different sources to find out, you know, what's exactly going on. So, you know, when we say like in 1968, the Corolla happened, but oh, by 1967, uh, it, Toyota was the number three best selling brand in the United States. Now that's, that says it's something. Best selling, I'm sorry, best selling import brand in the United States, Ooh. which is huge. That is big. And later, you know, we're going to find out later about the history, you know, where they are now. Yes. Um, kind of surprising. I mean, it, the way they jumped up in uh, popularity. It is very surprising. Let's, um, let's take a second to go back with our parallel, uh, parallel podcast here about mm-hmm. the philosophy. Uh, cause we never talked about those precepts or the, uh, oh, yeah. conditions. I got them right here. Sure. Oh, I can run through them real let's quick. Hear them. Okay. Um, there are the lists I found had five. Um, okay. One, regardless of, Position, work together to fulfill your duties faithfully and contribute to the development and welfare of the country, mm-hmm. being, of course, Japan. Um, two, always stay ahead of the times through research and creativity. Three, avoid frivolity. Frivolity? Frivolity. frivolity. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, so don't be whimsical. <laughs> no horseplay. No horseplay. Yeah, there that's we always go. rule number that's, seven that's on how the you, uh, ice rink. That's how we would say it over here. No horseplay. It is rule number thirty or seven. Yeah. Wow. At the pool and at the ice rink. Why is that? I don't know. Okay. Number, number four. Uh, be kind and generous. Strive to create a home-like atmosphere. And five, be reverent and conduct your life in thankfulness and gratitude. I will be honest with you, Scott. I find number five a little bit vague, <laughs> but I am, I am definitely not going to, uh, not going to just dismiss out of hand these precepts because they have obviously been successful by continuing to, um, Sort of take this, this worker approach. We should also talk about how they invest in equipment rather than people. Um, and originally, uh, Kichiro, when the company was just starting off, uh, swore they would never lay off any workers. Mm. And due to the circumstances that later occurred, they were sort of forced into, uh, laying off people. And rather than do that, Kichiro resigned. Really? Uh huh. He stood behind his principles, huh? Yes. Said, he said, I, I promised it. I won't do it. And, uh, he, you know, we won't go too much into the details of how, how that whole game worked out. You know, Ben, you want to take a moment just to talk about like Toyota's rise in popularity because, um, they've, they've really climbed through the years. I mean, by introducing different brands mm-hmm. and, uh, just slowly climbing the ladder, I guess is what they've been doing really. Yeah. Uh, when you look at, you know, where they, where they started and, and 
you know, they started with what, 288 vehicles in the United States, is what I said? Yes. Selling that? 287 yeah, of which were it's getting It's getting just to astronomical numbers, really. Oh, yes. And sir. Um, so if you want to kind of go back with me here, um, they have the capacity to build about 2.2 million cars at this point, Ben. And by 2011, I think is when they said that they were going to be able to do that. Wow. Um, that's one, that's 1. 1.4, oh, and that's 2.2 million cars and trucks and 1.45 million engines and 15 plants all across North America. And this is just the United States production we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, the numbers are just getting, getting huge. I mean, they're built in California, Kentucky, Indiana, mm-hmm. West Virginia, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, Missouri, and Mississippi. And, um, if, if you want to go back now, I, I was kind of shocked by this. What's that? Lexus wasn't around until 1989. I, I don't know why I find that amazing. I thought they were around a lot longer than that. Really? But uh, I did, yeah. I mean, I'm an old-timer. So <laughs> 1989, I mean, that seems like it wasn't that long ago. Um, but they debuted in 1989, and Ooh. they debuted a little bit later, I think, in Japan. I think it was first launched here in the United States. And it was one of these uh, these things that, you know, by 1991, this is just two years later, Lexus was already the number one luxury import in the United States. Mm. They had already topped uh, Mercedes and BMW. Which is just nuts. That's bananas. I I can't believe that. I mean, it it just seems strange that they would top the Germans two years after they had launched. And they didn't introduce the uh, Lexus brand to the hometown or to the home state of Japan until what, 2005? Something like that. It was, it was a lot longer. Late? And I've got it again, one of my yeah. many timelines I'm looking at here, but, um, yeah, it was a, it was a lot longer. So, uh, it had been around the United States for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, if we kind of go through the timeline here again, yeah. um, in 19, December 1997, uh, that's when Camry, the well-known Camry at this point mm-hmm. has earned the title of number one selling passenger car in America. So it, um, Ah, boy, I mean that's that's a huge. Uh, it is not an easy achievement. Mile marker there yeah. at that point. I mean it's really big. Uh, so it was in 2000 that the Prius came around, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, also in 2000, Lexus is now the top-selling luxury brand in the United States, mm-hmm. and that's that's a title that it has held at, apparently for nine years at that point. Um, maybe even longer at this point. And just a few years after selling uh, the first Prius, uh, I think they hit. Over a million sold? Yeah, they hit well over a million. As yeah. a matter of fact, they, um, if you want to go all the way to 2001, uh, 2001, they became the third best-selling automotive brand in the United States. They passed Dodge. So, you know, the, the big wow. three that we always talk yeah. about, GM, yeah. Chrysler, Ford, um, they passed Dodge in 2001, and their sales were something like, you know, a, a million seven vehicles in the United States. It was a, more than that, actually. Um, crazy. So it... Enormous growth at that point. Um, of course, there's hybrid synergy drive, which came around in 2004 with the Prius, and mm-hmm. that's still around. Yeah. Um, let's see. Scion. They have Scion, you know, at that point. Uh, 2003, they launched the Scion brand, which is kind of for young, you know, uh, youth-oriented mm-hmm. urban drivers is what they said. Um, huge success. And in 2004, they topped 2 million vehicles for the first time ever. So, uh, you know, at this point, they're, they're topping 2 million vehicles per sale. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, per, per year in the United States alone, which, uh, you know, looking back again to 1957 at 288, that's, that's incredible growth. And just for some perspective, uh, we're, we're all familiar with the automobile company Honda. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in the United States, Toyota has about double their sales. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it's, it? It's, uh, 
it's incredible. And a lot of people, a lot of, you know, business consultants and management gurus, if I could use the phrase, uh, do trace this stuff back to, um, Toyota's very philosophical approach to building cars. You know, we mentioned the Camry being the yes. number one selling car in the United States. At this point, Camry has been the number one selling car. It still is, uh, for the 11th time out of 12 years at this point. I think it was in, actually that was in 2009. I don't know about 2010. I have to look that up, but I think yeah. they stayed on top. Um, also in 2008, uh-huh. this, this is maybe the biggest marker here that I, I don't know if there is a big, bigger marker. Lay it um, on me. 2008, this, although sales were down because, you know, the economic downturn. Sure. Um, they still topped Chevrolet to take, uh, the number one selling brand in the United States spot. They sold more vehicles than GM, making it the number one, uh, world's largest automaker. Yeah. You know, it, okay. So we're going through, and I think the listeners are kind of getting the feeling that we have so much information here that it's hard to, it's difficult to condense it into one podcast. This is one of our iceberg podcasts, I think. Yeah, I think so because I mean, we're talking about a, a company here that now worldwide in 2010 they had they they built 8.42 million vehicles, mm-hmm. 8.42 million worldwide. And we're talking about you know U.S. sales that are you know around two and a half million, something sure. like that. But 8.42 million worldwide, and GM was just underneath them at 8.39. So um, they are number one. That's Toyota. The, the the list goes Toyota, GM, VW mm. at this point. Volkswagen is very close. They're at uh, well, close relatively, I guess. They're yeah. they're selling 7.14 million vehicles, uh, just as a comparison. Um, so it's it's unbelievable the amount of vehicles we're talking about at this point, and and they're huge, huge companies. But we would be remiss if we did not mention that not all has been hunky-dory and rose-tinted glasses for Toyota through their history. Correct. I just get the feeling that, you know, when people hear the first part, they're they're thinking, why are these guys glossing over? Um, well, sure, we're gushing about Toyota, right? Well, well, we're gushing about the cool stuff, but let's also keep in mind people who have listened to um, our earlier podcasts um, have probably already heard about – Things like Toyota's massive recall a number of years back. We said they produced eight point was that four two eight point four two million units in two thousand ten. And over the span of this recall for unintended acceleration, they had to recall almost Near, nearly eight million vehicles. Yeah, yeah. So the recall cost them dearly. Right, but re- recalls are always uh, tremendously expensive and historically sometimes fatal mm-hmm. to. Uh, not just vehicles, but a manufacturer in general. Yeah, true. So if you have to recall cereal, you can still get, even though a box of cereal is so much cheaper. Do you find that funny, Ben? I, cereal? I, I heard you laugh. I'm laughing because it makes me feel like <laughs> it feels like such a dangerous game. It's really risky. I, I was kidding. I was just kidding. I heard you snicker there a little bit. I, I, I am snickering I... because I'm thinking, you know, you build a millions of iterations of a product, right? And if it's not good in the beginning, if there's something wrong with it, how do you how do you catch it before it goes? I know, I know. Until you, you get eight million out there, and you have to bring them back at a significant cost each. That's uh, that's a major undertaking. I can't even handle it when I accidentally print something out with the formatting wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have to print it twice. Oh, and God forbid, there's more than one copy. Oh, sure, my color. Oh no, <laughs> I can't even mess with. It. Yeah. I I have to evolve. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so we've got. It looks like we have um, Toyota, despite some of its mistakes. You know. Um, 
the Scion is in raw numbers successful, for mm-hmm. instance, but the management of Toyota and a lot of analysts think that it didn't really live up to what they wanted it to. I've do. heard that there's some uh, there there are low customer return numbers for Scion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know down at near the bottom of the list, I think was. Chrysler and Scion and, you know, mm-hmm. there's some surprising, uh, return, you know, people that own a vehicle from that manufacturer. Do they go back and buy from that manufacturer again? And I know that Scion was pretty low on that, uh, on that list. And there are some demographics that are difficult to predict. Uh, that's for the Scion was intended or is intended, I guess, for more to bring a younger, hipper demographic. Mm-hmm. I think, I think overall success. I, I would say, but I, I think so. We don't know what they wanted inside the boardroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it, cause it's not another Camry. True. Um, so our, I guess what, what we're trying to do here at the end is just say that we, we know this company's not perfect. Uh, it is impressive, I think. Yeah, agreed. Just, just and it's, a, it's the number one world's largest automaker. Oh man, that's, that's always impressive. I want a factory tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want. I I wonder if we can finagle that. Somehow. Oh, I'm sure that's possible. Is it in the budget? <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, while we're gonna go uh, check on our budget, uh, we're gonna scoot. We, you won't have to listen to us shuffle paper and numbers anymore. Um, but do check us out. Tell us what you think about Toyota's uh, history. Tell us what you think about the history of other car companies. Would sure. you like to hear more? Maybe some of the stuff we forgot in our timelines here because they're, like we said, they are gaps that uh, they're just not filled in even the three or four that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please let us know what's going on. And the best ways to uh, the best ways for someone to do that are, of course, to check us out on Facebook, give us a holler at Twitter, uh, check out our blog and our website. But if you want to cut right to the quick of the matter, uh, send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.